Now this leads us very naturally to the question, how can a healthy fear of God be acquired and maintained? Ultimately, it's possible only if you've been born again in Jesus Christ. Left to yourself, you may fear God in the stifling, destructive way previously described. It takes no special work of God in your life for you to be terrified of God. But to fear God in the proper way is a different matter. This requires a gracious work of God in your life. The Holy Spirit must enable you to be spiritually reborn. Jesus said in John chapter 3, you must be born again. And to have a proper fear of God, that's true. You have to be born again. You have to be redeemed from sin through the work of Jesus Christ. Speaking to this issue, Peter challenges us to live our lives in reverent fear because we know that we have been redeemed through the precious blood of Christ. That's 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 17 through 19. Peter seems to be saying that our redemption in Christ provides a twofold reason to fear God. It should inspire a big concept of God because of the means by which he has saved us. We've been loosed from the penalty and power of our sin by nothing less than the death of God's own Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Peter asserts that Christ's redemption includes a deliverance from our old way of life, which a reverent fear of God was lacking. Now, you may be thinking, I'm a Christian, but the fear of God is not powerful in my life. Yes, my friends, that was Greg's problem. He confessed Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. He said he wanted to please God, but his fear of God was minimal. And his relationship with God was superficial. In such a case, what else do you need in order to develop a more vital awareness of the true and living God in your life? Well, God's word to us through Jeremiah gives us some clear instruction. It provides important insight on this matter. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 32, verses 38 through 40, they will be my people and I will be their God. I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will never stop doing good to them, and I will inspire them to fear me. Note carefully what this passage says about the fear of God. God's people, those who belong to him, 
are without exception God-fearing people. They fear him because God inspires them to do so and not because of any natural inclination. God gives them singleness of heart and action. Paul recognized this and wrote that God, who said, let the light shine out of the darkness, made his light to shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. Paul is saying that we will never comprehend God's majesty and glory unless God turns on the light in the darkness of our hearts. He must provide illumination in our inner man if we're to understand his splendor. Because of this conviction... Paul frequently petitions God to reveal himself as he writes the book of Ephesians. He says that they should keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That's Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17. Later in the same epistle, he says, I pray that you may have the power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know the love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Several important facts should be observed in this passage. These are prayer petitions addressed to God, though shared with the readers of his epistle. Paul is not directly exhorting or admonishing his readers. He is praying. He's asking God to do something in their lives. Certainly this implies that without God's help, we cannot experience whatever he is describing. In addition, I'm struck by the fact that this particular prayer request was one that he frequently and continuously brought to God. He says, I keep asking. He didn't do it once. He kept asking God. Ephesians 1, 17, I pray, present tense, meaning that he continued to pray. He didn't say, I prayed. He says, I pray. And that's found in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16. When you study Paul's Ephesian prayers, you realize that they can be boiled down to only one thing. The focus of Paul's prayers was that God might give wisdom and revelation so that we may know it better. To Paul, the fullness of this entreaty was the fountainhead that opened up a world of blessing. If you are a God-fearing man, you will pray because you fear God. And as you pray aright, your wholesome fear of God will be nurtured and increased because you pray. This will be the dynamic 
that will enable you to build your family God's way. Remember Greg? He wanted to be a good husband and father. He worked hard to give his family the very best. He really cared for them. Still, he had become aware that something was amiss in his relationships with his family and with God. Greg was gifted and successful in most of what he did. So they had become so self-sufficient. He was so busy that he neglected his prayer life. The telltale signs of this neglect were a distant relationship with God and a limited impact on his family. You can't develop a healthy, wholesome God consciousness or build a family God's way without a meaningful prayer life. However, as important as prayer is, it's just one piece of the puzzle. According to Psalm 46, to nurture a controlling and pervasive awareness of God, you must be still and know that he is God. Psalm 46 and verse 10. That means regularly asking God for revealing himself to you through the word of God. It means regularly taking time out from your hurried pace of life to reflect on who and what God is. Psalm 46 depicts a man who is hopeful, secure, and courageous in the midst of unusually difficult circumstances. It's not his natural temperament to be calm and to be settled in the midst of difficult circumstances. No, he has become that kind of man because he's taken time to be still and know that he's God. I urge you to make it a regular priority to be still and meditate on God as he's revealed in Jesus Christ and in the scriptures. The scriptures declare that the glory of God is disclosed in the face of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. Christ is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. That's Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. So if you want to properly fear God, you must spend time regularly reflecting on the person and work of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he did, what he's doing and what he will do. You must seek to know him personally. You must talk to him about whatever is on your mind. Place yourself as an observer in the scenes described in the New Testament. Don't just read it. Try to place yourself in the situation. Try to picture what's happening. Consider how Christ lived, how he related to people, as well as what he did and said. 
Try to understand why he spoke and acted as he did. Imagine what he may have been thinking or feeling. Notice how people responded to him. As you study the scriptures, you, Christ's majesty, his graciousness, his wisdom, his compassion, righteousness and justice, and his power. Go off into the cross on which he died to your sins. Proceed to the empty tomb from which he rose and was powerfully declared to be the Son of God. Spend time on the Mount of Olives from which he ascended into the presence of God the Father. Contemplate the throne of God where he sits possessing all authority over heaven and earth, making intercession for you and ruling over all things for the sake of the church. Consider for you and remember that he's ruling over all things for the sake of the church. Consider what all this means for your relationship and his relationship to the world, to people, to history. Seek with Paul to know Christ more fully than you've ever known him to this point. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, Paul said that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Don't be satisfied with a second-hand knowledge of Christ. I've encouraged people who wanted to enhance their personal relationship with Jesus to have an hourly fellowship break. One man set his watch alarm to sound off every hour. It reminded him to focus on Christ, to talk to Christ, to reflect on God's Word, the Bible. This break became the pause that refreshes and helped him develop a more God-consciousness, a more Christ-centered life. In keeping this in mind, remember that the Bible is primarily a revelation of who and what God is. Your relationship with God will be nourished by faithful meditation on God's Word. The Scriptures, John 5 and verse 39 says, testify, Jesus speaking, about me. In John 5 verse 39, David tells us that the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 9. Note that this passage in Psalm 19 closely connects God's word with the fear of the Lord. David does this because he knows the inevitable response to a proper understanding of God's word is an increased 
submissiveness to the Bible and you will meet their God and you will not be disappointed. The Bible is God's book. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. In it, God has revealed his attributes. It's God's book. It reveals his works, his concerns, his will, his intentions, his plans, his desires for his people, and his designs for the world around us. You need to develop the attitude that God is speaking to you as you read the Bible. Read the Bible as you would a letter from your dearest friend. Two of you are making contact. You're coming to know your friend better. You're coming to know God better. Receive what the Bible says as coming from your Heavenly Father, your personal Savior and Lord, the great and awesome God of creation and redemption. Don't regard its teaching as abstract rules about life, about mere duties to fulfill. Respond to God's word as one who by grace has been brought into the family of the most wonderful person in all the universe. See everything in the scripture as an invitation to enter into a deeper relationship with the majestic, infinite infinite Father and Redeemer. Christian counselors sometimes give people who are experiencing marital or family problems an assignment to make one graph depicting the high and low points of their relationship with God and another graph depicting the high and low points in their family relations. Interestingly, the high and low points in their family relationships when compared with their high and low points in their relationship with God, these two graphs, when they're compared, they often coincide. Often when people sense that their relationship with God was vital and deep and very personal, They also experience a vital relationship with other family members. Greg Greg had been learning this basic lesson. Have you? If so, you're on track for building your family God's way. If not, I encourage you to repent. And by God's grace, reorient your life to put first things first. To put your relationship with God first. It will do a world of good for you and a world of good for your family. Now here are some application exercises for you to make what we've been talking about very real for you and for your family life. Uh, Describe in your own words the problem in Greg's life and how it was affecting his family. 
How does Psalm 128 describe the husband and father in God's kind of family? What is the one outstanding feature of this man's life as reflected in this psalm, Psalm 128? According to the Bible, why is a man's relationship with God so important for himself and for his family? What benefits does God promise to the person and his family who makes his relationship with God a priority? Now, there are two types of fear of God. Both of them were described in this chapter. There's a kind of a fear of God that is destructive. What Bible examples illustrate this kind of fear? Can you think of some historical or contemporary examples of people who've had a destructive fear of God? How has this kind of fear affected their lives and their families? Why have these people feared God in this destructive way? Why is this kind of a fear of God such a prevalent part of their life? It's a terrified fear of God. And the question is, according to John 14, where Jesus said, He that has seen me has seen the Father. In other words, the Father is like Jesus. As you look at Jesus, did Jesus go around ranting and raving? Did Jesus go around calling fire and destruction down upon people? Or does the Bible say that Jesus is meek and lowly in heart? He's gentle and lowly in heart. Hebrews 5 and verse 2 says that he is gentle. He's gentle with those who are in sin or gentle in the lives of those who are ignorant. But we can come to Jesus, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. He didn't say, I will banish you, I will destroy you. If you really know Jesus, have trusted in him, have repented of your sins, put your faith and trust in Jesus as the one who died for your sins, paid the penalty for your sin on the cross, then you may come to Jesus recognizing that the same Jesus who loved you and died for you on the cross is the Jesus who even now will come and relate to you and encourage you and as it were put his arms around you and hold you and he will give you peace and comfort as you are laboring and heavy laden so the fear of god draws us the proper fear of god draws us to him the destructive fear of god causes people to run away from him and it's to ignore who Jesus really is. He is gentle and lowly in heart. According to the Bible, 
Why is a man's relationship with God so important for himself and his family? And you see that illustrated in Psalm 128. You see that illustrated in many other passages of, of the Bible as well, where we speak about the fear of God. For example, in the book of Proverbs, we're told that the man who fears God is a person who will bring comfort and peace to his family. A proper fear of God causes a man not to fear circumstances or fear other people, but to be strong, strong enough to be gentle and patient and compassionate. So this is the proper fear of God is extremely important. And uh, we've described what was lacking in Greg's life was a superficial relationship with God. He lacked the proper fear of God, reverence from God, which made him strong. The Bible says, God is our refuge and our strength, our very present present help in a time of trouble. Therefore, be still and know that I am God, though everything around us may be shaking as you read Psalm 46, because you are confident that God is in control and you have a strong relationship with him. In the midst of that turmoil and disturbance, you can be still because you know that he is God. And so Greg needed to develop a more healthy and wholesome fear of God. And uh, one of the things that I gave to Greg at that point, I wrote a book which is called The Fear Factor, and it describes the importance of a, a proper fear of God in our lives, what the fear of God is, and then how we develop that fear of God. That book has now been changed as far as its name is concerned, and it's now called Courage. Because the opposite of being a person who has calmness and peace in the midst of distressing circumstances is a person who is falling apart, is full of a, a terrifying, destructive kind of fear. He lacks courage. And what will give a man courage? Well, he develops courage because he is developing a bigger concept of God. And so if a man is to be the kind of uh, husband or father that will bring peace and confidence to his family, he must be a man who properly fears God. That was not true of Greg. Greg had a superficial fear of God, not a deep fear of God, I'm not talking again about a terrifying fear of God. We're talking about reverence, uh, awareness of how great God is. And our awareness of how great God is gives us confidence as we go through life as well. And that confidence will spill over and be a blessing to other members of the family. May God grant it be so in our lives.